Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is Julie Bates with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 200. That is a lot of talking. And at uh, the hunt test this past week, and I ran into several people who said, you know, I think I've listened to every one of your podcasts. And, you know, they seemed a little off. Um, so maybe they're just crazy. I don't know. But that would be amazing. That's a, a lot of, that's at least 100 hours of listening. <laughs> so I'm glad at least some people are getting some usefulness out of this. I appreciate that. I'm getting inundated with, hey, female podcaster, join us for this and that and all kinds of stuff. I take that as a sign that I'm registering on enough downloads that they're starting to pay attention. But that's not my goal. Um, Again, in many, many ways to monetize this. And unless they come up with something that's just unbelievable, uh, that's just not why I'm doing this. I'm doing this as a way to give back to the canine community that's been good to me all of my life. And so if I can uh, give some food for thought for people, then that's a success for me. Today I'm going to do um, some listener questions because I always have those. And I'm frankly a little worn out from an eight-hour trip up to South Dakota. Great tests, great people, um, some really good dogs, and uh, just... A lot of people doing what they love and working real hard, so it was enjoyable. We had a meeting and the evening. It's supposed to be a, a judges and handler seminar, but it really was a let's talk about the American Pointing Lab Association and what we want different kind of a meeting. So everyone that signed the seminar sheet, I guess, got credit for one, but it wasn't because we didn't talk a lick about judging or handling. Make sure we do that at some more to kind of get people brought up to date. So the listener question I'm going to start with, I'm going to do at least two or three, depending on what, what time allows, is um, how old you know, can you still make a difference training a dog? What age is a dog no longer really trainable? Um, and so it, it, that's a large topic, and I, I have to kind of hone it down to just the most relevant things. But somebody was asking because they had, had a four-year-old and they wanted to know if they could now train it to go do the stuff that we're doing. And so I'm going to address this the best I can. The prior podcast that I gave when I was talking about little puppies. And that what you teach them between about 10 and 12 weeks in, uh, up to the in the first four, five, six months that you have them. is when a lot of the neural paths are are formed and then really used and worn down, made into major roadways instead of like a little rocky trail so on a young dog you want certain responses and behaviors and attitudes and perspectives kind of put in consistently into that dog so that you literally do form neural paths hope i'm using the right term biology people um so that your your uh, brain tends to just fire along that way every time like a muscle memory thing you know if you play tennis or you golf or you bowl or whatever you do you do it long enough you develop you develop muscle memory and you don't have to think about things skiing another really good one right you don't have to think about things your body does what it does because it has the memory the muscle memory which is also a neural path thing and so what we want are for dogs puppies to develop that kind of a thing so that when you say something You have their attention. They learn, not out of fear, okay, but they learn to pay attention. Or when you tell them to sit, they learn that they sit. 
things like that, that, that when you move or make a, a sound, it's significant. Don't ignore it. Coming when called. Things like that. Walking on a leash. You want to build the neural paths, the mental and muscle memory for those things as neural paths and muscle memory is being formed for the first time in a young animal. That's the easiest way in the world to train a dog. When dogs have not had that, when the neural paths that were formed didn't have a lot to do with you, but instead had a lot more to do with, I want to chase that, I want to eat that, I want to go over there, I don't want to do that, I want to bark. When those, that's where the muscle memory, the neural paths have been formed. And at the time of age, at the age when it is optimal for, you don't have a lot of neural paths other than just survival stuff. And so at the optimal time when they start being formed is if you get them going in a direction that's going to be good for the dog and you for the next 10, 15 years. To come along a little bit later and begin to do that is more of a job because one, you already have neural paths in there that re react and respond a certain way, usually by not reacting and responding in a way you want at all, but by tuning you out and doing entirely other things. Now you have to go form some new ones. So you have the old ones and the new ones. And it takes time and consistency and a lot of practice to begin to let the old ones sort of decay away and for the new ones to build on a lot of strength. And the longer that you go before you decide to do some of the new neural paths, the more difficult this job of diminishing the old ones, which by after a number of years are, they're kind of concrete, right? We got asphalt with concrete curbs on those neural paths versus, you know, initially a little bit of a worn area and then a path and then a trail and all of that and then a sidewalk and pretty soon it gets bigger and bigger. So when, you, when you've got ones that are just already asphalted and concreted in, it is very difficult to form new ones. There's not a lot of space anymore. That thing has become so big and wide and solid and it's, it's hard to find a space to start forming neural paths. Didn't say you couldn't. It's a lot harder to do. And then it takes, once you kind of get them in there, the consistency and the practice is all important because you still don't have a lot of space and you're still trying to first get a kind of a little new worn area and then maybe a path and then maybe a little bit of a sidewalk. It takes time and it's much takes a lot more effort, a lot more consistency, and a lot more time. Now, there are exceptions. I trained a, I think it was an 18-month-old that had had nothing. And I thought, oh, man, this will never work. And the dog was just great. Now, maybe in the dog's, you know, the first um, 16 months after that person had had it, maybe they did do a lot of things that made the dog be responsive and receptive and, and all of that. And all I did was just transfer it over to the the bird world and it took it really well. So maybe it was that or maybe that dog just had a lot of ability to form neural paths and to learn things. That can always be. But even if they are ones that are fairly amenable to that, the older they are, the more time it's going to take. And some dogs that will work and other dogs you're going to just be trying and trying and trying and with some probably isn't going to work. They're going to get resentful, they're going to get mad, they don't understand, they don't like it. There's not one compelling reason in their minds for them to start making these changes that you're asking about. 
So the answer to that one would be, one, it depends on just the individual nature and makeup of that dog. It also depends strongly on what the first six months of that dog's life were like. You know, did it learn to be interactive with people and to care about what other people, you know, what people were wanting or asking for? And did it learn how to learn and did it learn how to think? And if it never did the learning and thinking thing, it is difficult. Like in the analogy I used last week, if you have a kid that never learns to read, you know, about words and stuff like that, never learns to read, and suddenly about 35, you decide that they need to start reading books. Can it be done? Most of the time, yes. Is it easy? Not nearly as easy as it was if they were four, five, six years old. So, and, and, and we're a lot better at adapting and learning and things like that than the uh, canine brain is. They're a little bit more specifically rolled for what they're here on the earth to do. So it's, um, it depends. So at least what you want to do is understand if you're going to undertake this on a dog that's, say you haven't done anything and it's 10 months old. You, you got some work there. Say it's a year old, say it's two years old or three years old. You've got some work to do. And there's no harm unless, you know, the dog starts to get mean about you asking them to hold a bumper or do something. Um, there's, it's a, a good thing because you're investing time and energy and yourself into this dog. That's always a positive. You can find out how amenable the dog is to this kind of change. And above all, be aware that this is difficult for a dog who does not have the supporting thought structure to do these things with you. And be patient and just stay at it. There's no downside to it. There's only upsides to it, but it may not be as quick and easy as you would like it to be or think it should be. You're just going to be dealing with, you know, what's going on inside the cranial capacity of that dog. And that's all you've got. So it's very important that you understand that going in. And, and don't, no expert can tell you, oh, yes, you always can or you never can or anything else. Go find out. Just, just go find out. So another topic, and somebody, this is another question. Somebody uh, gave me an Einstein quote the other day, and I just loved it. Um, I wish I could go verify and make sure it was actually him. kind of sounded like it. A lot of times on the Internet, I see them quote Rumi, who's a, a 2,500 years ago uh, person that, that was a, a wise man. And they quote him, and, and sometimes it has like stuff to do with the Internet. Pretty sure that wasn't there back then. So I always take these quotes with a grain of salt. But Einstein had said that true, uh, true, true expertise comes from experience, not knowledge. In other words, you can read all the books you want. I'm all for that since I wrote one. A couple. Three, actually. Um, but where you really come to know things is through experience. And I think it's important for everyone that's trying to get to be a little bit better of a dog trainer dog owner, anything, <laughs> just almost anything. I think that quote said a lot, and that really goes in the dog world because, and I've engaged in many friendly and some not terribly friendly uh, debates and discussions about people who are training or people who are judging, who, who basically argue that you can be taught these things. You can be taught how to judge. You can be taught how to set up tests. Um, you can be taught how to train a dog 
And I understand what people mean when they say that. Because you have to hear what the stuff is. You know, you have to hear about it and be told, you know, this is what a double is, or this is what force fetch is, or this is what basic obedience is. You have to be told. Uh, you have to be shown. None of that is where you do the learning. That is the acquainting you with the concepts and the ideas and the vocabulary and the words. But the place where you learn to be a good trainer or to be a good judge is by actually doing the stuff. And the stuff is training dogs, working with them. Uh, we're talking about retriever stuff now, doing setups, doing setups, not running somebody else's setup. That, that's beneficial. You can, by doing it, you're going to learn something. By setting up your own and having it be wildly successful or really not successful is the biggest learning thing of all. And I, I will say, whether you're judging, learning to how to set up things and how to evaluate the work of other dogs, you cannot be told how to do that. You can be told how to do it. You will not know how to do it until you have experienced a great deal of it. And the more that you experience, the more you realize you haven't known and still have more to come. And I think that's a, that's a real um, critical thing where I probably, in, in, the, in the upland world, in the upland world where I probably have learned the most, and I want to say in my retriever, in my dog world, I have learned in the retriever world from the best of the best. I have been fortunate enough to spend some time around people who knew more than I'll ever know. Um, knew it from the heart and soul and had been doing it for a long time and to the highest, highest levels. You know, I, I learned from those people and I absorbed every single thing I could. But where I actually learned about the training and learned about it was the many long hours out there, me and the dogs, and me not knowing what to do. And it would have been nice to just pick up the phone and call expert A and go, all right, this and this and this is happening. What should I do? But the real experts, they wouldn't have even answered. They said, I don't know. I, I, I'm not there. I, can, I can't see that. I'm not sure what you should do. Think about this or that. Real experts don't have all the answers for you. Very rarely do they have many answers for you at all, you might notice, because they know that that's not really ultimately going to help you. What's going to help you is when you figure it out, and they might be able to guide you a little bit. But I, I learned the most about everything by taking great information and then going out in the field and then doing stuff and going, wow, that was awesome, or I have no idea what that is. No one said this would happen. What is that when the dog is doing this? Or, you know, they do some weird thing. I have no idea what it is. I still have that to date. I have dogs do stuff. I'm going, I have no idea what that is. Um, and so you learn something else, or at least you have the opportunity to learn something else. So the, in our discussion about how do I get to be a better trainer, obviously get the very best information you can. And that is not the, the guy that, you, that just judged you. That's not, I, I would say no judge worth, really worth two cents is going to tell you uh, what to do. That's not what they're there for. They're there to judge your dog's performance your dog's performance and rate it out, you know, with whatever the criteria is. That's what judges are there to do, nothing else but that. And if if you have questions, certainly ask, but but go get the very best information you can. Absorb that in there 
and then go carry out some work yourself. And instead of looking for the desired result, look for what you actually get and then think about that. I would say learning about dog training has been one of the biggest um, mental challenges I've had. You know, and I've had some good mental challenges in my life and other things that I've done. But, but that's the one where just stuff is happening with these living things and, and I'm relatively connected and tuned in with them and I'm sitting there going, I really don't know what this is, which is another opportunity maybe to figure uh, something out. But I don't have to have the answer right there. I don't have to have the solution to whatever's going on right there. Eventually, if I pay enough attention and stay at it, the solution tends to surface if you let it. But the way to know and be better at this stuff within my experience and watching others that I have a lot of respect for is by just getting out there, getting in the ring. Um, just getting in the ring. I think it was Teddy Roosevelt that had that. That was in my, in my first book. You know, the only, guy, the only guy that matters is the one that's in the ring, going at the competition, sweating, getting hurt, getting stomped, failing, trying it, going back at it again. That's the person to listen to. That's the person that's learning stuff. And the more that people learn stuff, the less they tend to uh, try to fix everybody else or inform everybody else because they know that's not really how you get better. So I'm going to, that, that wasn't so much a question, it was a conversation that I wanted to share about how to get better at, at all, at setting up tests to judge dogs and training dogs. It's all the same. Go do the hard stuff. That when your jaw's moving, you're not really doing much toward that, but when you're out there setting stuff up, running dogs, working on it, and trying to figure it out, and remaining open to what you're seeing, um, that's probably the greatest learning opportunity that you're going to have. And if you just stay at it without trying to become an expert real quick, um, you will find that you actually do get to know one or two things about all of this. Okay, third question. This is a question. Um, and that is, and this is for dogs that are going to do upland work. Is it okay to do all the retriever work first and then later go ahead and do the oven stuff? And I, I address this in, I don't know, a great number of my podcasts, whether, in, you know, kind of just subliminally or, or outright. But when you're talking about, and I've, I've, I'll just go through this one one more time because apparently we need a little bit of a review of it. And somebody's going to have had exact opposite experience of what I'm going to say and have the greatest upland dog in the world very feasible that kind of there's not like a recipe for this there's not one way to do this but what i can say fairly fairly convinced of it is that on these little dogs when you have the little dogs they have these different aspects to them they're hard going they're hard going uh, retrievers right we hope at least they've got to be fairly hard going retrievers to do the hard kind of work that we have want them to do including blind retrieves where they didn't even see it. And they still run hard after something that they don't know where it is. They have the retrieving aspect, which is heavily controlled by us. We point them in a certain direction. We send them when we want them to go. They need to go to the area where that fell. They need to stay there, not just cover half the county. 
and they need to bring it directly back to us, sit down and hand it to us. So if they have something that's still alive and flopping around, they don't set it down and it flies away or runs away. We have to have that very dependent work. For the, uh, the upland part of it, that is not dependent work. It is to a slight degree in that we will eventually teach them you have to stay within a range. You have to hunt the way in the direction I'm going and and we're hunting together as a team and if I need you over here in this cover strip then you need to get over in this direction instead of somewhere else entirely differently. But it's very independent behavior. They have to use all of the data available which is going to be wind, sound, uh, old sense, things that they see, stuff that I don't even know what's going on out there but I know that they have a lot of ways of perceiving this stuff. It's for them to use all of that data and to determine whether they're getting closer to something, whether something was there or was not, is no longer. If there's something interesting or something not interesting that's out there, they do all of that. And it's very independent work. And for those upland dogs that are hoped to point birds, which is the opposite of retrieving, which is not getting it, which is very opposed to the other stuff, I have found that it's much better if you side, at the same time develop these things, not on the same training day or in the same place, but at the same time of life, you can do some retrieving stuff with the dog. And then at another time, you go out in the upland field and allow them to learn how to interact with living things in the environment and figure that stuff out. That's a huge thing. That's a huge thing, and it's not the same as retrieving. So... Can you do one thing and then the other? Yeah, you can go either way. You can do that. It's harder on the dog. Again, when you just let one set of neural paths form, right? The, let's say it's the dependent. Okay, listen to me. Sit by me. Watch what I tell you to watch. You be right here. And that's the neural paths that you form. Then those are the neural paths you have. And I've gotten a number of dogs in that <clears throat> that's all that they did. They never did the other stuff. So when you walk out in the field, they just heal, right? Because they're like, okay, I'm not seeing anything. And then everyone's mad. Oh, these darn bootlickers. You know, and it's no. It's that they never develop those neural paths that say, get on out there, man, and start looking for stuff. There's interesting things. There's, it, this is wonderful. You love this. They never develop those neural paths, and they don't have them. So then we, you know, are mad and we're insulting them and then we're trying to get them to get out there, which just makes them stick even tighter and the whole thing kind of goes sour. Are there dogs that have done that successfully? Yes. Are there dogs that have done all the wild and crazy bird work? We've gotten some of those guys in too. Whoo, they're just ready to go. And then when you go, no, you just need to sit here and I'm going to throw this little plastic bumper and you're going to sit and wait. Unthinkable to them. Unthinkable. Not because they're wild, crazy, and terrible, because they never develop the neural paths of stop, wait, and think. <laughs> stop, wait, think. Something different is happening here. Pay attention to what it is. So, in fairness to the dogs, um, and in, in fairness to a training program, it's easiest on everybody, particularly the dog, where you can meet most of her, if not all of your goals with this dog, it's easier done on them if you are developing the parts inside of their thinking and their head and their experience that allows them to do these things that are not the same. Not the same. Different kinds of thinking, different kinds of actions. And different kinds of responses to you. 
So it's much easier if you have kind of a cohesive, balanced program that has, which I, again, I believe I talked about it last week on a bunch of stuff, the balanced program um, where you develop separately but equally strongly all of these different aspects of the dog. Much, much easier uh, on the dog. Not as easy on you if you have to think about every day what you're doing and how you're going to do it and all that. So anyway, <laughs> I found it to be a lot easier if I develop neural paths and all the different kinds of thinking that I need early and then just reinforce them and keep them going. And then you have um, a pretty good one, which speaking of that, I'll talk about G and her sister who both ran the hunt test last weekend. Um, it was G's second hunt test of her entire life and her sister's first hunt test of her entire life. And they both passed two tests. Um, on the master field, so G is now a one-and-a-half-time grandmaster, and Kai's a master pointing retriever. Just young guys. Um, some of my older guys, kind of, when you have that many, that much action and a big long trip and stuff, kind of, they get a little bit rattled. Those two girls just went out and did the work and just thought it was great. So, uh, again, another, you know, especially G, who I had from eight weeks, you know, she just was... She did birds, and she did retrieving, and she did the walk, and she did you better listen to me stuff the whole time. of. So now when she goes to a hunt test, um, she's just like, okay, here we go. It's sort of all those neural paths are there, and she, I'm just real proud of her. She did a real good job. So that's the G update on this stuff. Now we just run tests and try and get better and better at what we're doing. So that's today's uh, 25 minutes, 26, a little bit shorter got some good answers to some I hoped some questions uh, it's kind of the heat of the season and it was freezing cold in South Dakota snowed at home in Colorado and I guess cooking them on the East Coast so here we go another exciting weather interesting time of everything so I wish everybody the best prayers for all the people in Texas who lost precious young members of their family and the teachers and uh, I hope that someday things can get a little bit better for people that are harmless that don't need to be taken out too soon. So God bless everybody. Stay happy and healthy. Do good dog work. And G and I will be back soon.